All right, so with this pandemic, you've heard of this, right? The pandemic going on. But with this pandemic, if you're level-headed, if you're a rational person, you say, this will pass. I will simply adjust. I will adapt. And if you're not a level-headed person, there is no doubt that you are melting down every single fucking day. Hey, it's episode 101. Hope you're doing well. Honestly, if you're listening right now, right now, I'm curious. Have you melted down yet? Have you reached your boiling point? Think mid-March to where we are right now. Have you had that moment? And you know what moment I'm talking about. That moment where you feel so confined, so hopeless and powerless that you just have to hit the ground. Maybe crying, maybe screaming. Have you had that moment? Or maybe I should frame the question this way. Haven't you all had that moment at least once? I hope not daily. I hope not weekly. I don't even want to hear that it's happening to you monthly. But it's happened, right? Once? Where you had to dust yourself off, kind of get up again and go, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Honestly, I, that, that wasn't me back there. But you know that moment where you're like, what's going on? This is too foreign. This is too surreal. This is too bizarre. What's going on? When every article you read, you're like, no, 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 no. That's me reading a COVID-19 article. No, 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 no. That's me watching the news, getting the latest information about coronavirus. No, 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 no. Click TV off, sit in the dark, take a breath and realize I have another day of this tomorrow. I'm good. I'm fine. Getting fitness. Sure. Meditating. You know, I am being creative with recreation. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. There are times where I feel dull. Like truly I'm getting a little dumber without the stimulation of being in the physical location of my job or around other humans that I can interact with. But one of the ways I stay sharp is being creative with our daily plans. But I must ask, is anybody running out of things to do? Are you running out of things to do? The other day, I just put my wife and daughter in the car and said, let's walk down a dirt path. Maybe we'll see some trees. And I was hoping to see a deer. I was praying. Honestly, my wife knows that I could turn a little tiny something into our day event. If we see a deer, I'm like, oh, that's going to buy us about seven minutes. Because then we'll hype it up. Tell my daughter, ooh, look at the deer. We'll teach you about deer. That's wildlife. Those are deer. And that's a fawn. And I feel like, oh, this is a big moment of our day. Why? Because there ain't shit happening. Man, I would pray to see a raccoon in our yard in the morning. I have a deep fear of skunks. But I would love to see a skunk. I'm now to the point where I need more. I need more stimulation. The other day, I had a friend turning 40 years old. We decided, bake a pie. Well, my wife is the baker. But what did that mean? We went to a field where we knew there were apple trees and we started harvesting. I love that word. Picking apples. I don't think it was private property. I don't want to say we started stealing apples, but we started picking apples from a local apple tree. I'm like, okay, that'll buy us 22 minutes. And then we walked through a field to get back to my car. That'll buy us three more minutes. And then we went to a store to get butter for the pie crust. Oh, perfect. That'll buy us 17 minutes. This is how I think now. Doing mundane shit to stretch time and making it sound awesome to a two-year-old. Do you know what butter is? And when we put butter with flour and sugar and eggs, oh boy, buckle up, it's pie time. And then when we bring the pie over 
to deliver the pie, that's your evening event. We're walking down the street to bring a pie to a neighbor. Everyone, get ready. Put on cologne, perfume, do your hair. Put on your nicest outfit. We're walking a block. I'm not even kind of kidding. Turning the littlest thing into something that'll stretch the afternoon or stretch the evening because we're running out of stuff to do. We are. We don't want to be alone with our thoughts too much. I'm like a frontiersman. No parks, no malls, no travel. But I know a creek where a few ducks hang out and we could look at them. Oh, I also know a barn that has five horses and we could look at them. Actually, my wife pets them. She walks right up to these horses in somebody's stable. And I don't pet horses because I think I have a big fear of a horse biting my hand off. But my wife doesn't. She thinks they're cute. They're beautiful. She goes, come here. Come here, sweetie. And she pets them along their nose and their mane. And I stand back and I go, that'll be the last day we see my wife's hand. I honestly have those thoughts. Telling my daughter, watch this. Watch what happens here. But I guess horses are very docile, gentle creatures, as I'm learning. Who knew? Oh, everybody but me? Okay. See an airplane skywriting? Oh, my God. Amazing. What else? What else? Just texting everybody. Constantly texting people. I'm in so many text conversations. Asking friends, hey, what are you doing this school year with your kids? Because you know how you're going to have to work? And most likely work from home? And your kids are not going into a classroom? And they're still your kids and you have to make sure that they're doing things like eating their meals and socializing and doing their homework and schoolwork. So what are you doing with them? You know how many questions we all have and I don't get too involved. What I mean by that is I get a lot of emails from the district, from the union, from fellow educators all over social media. Everybody has a voice every day. Not me. I'm in the old wait and wait and wait because the story changes every day. So I jump in. I'm not jumping in yet. Just tell me what to do and where to go. I'm an employee. I have to. Now I have a voice. I know we could fight the power, but really, I need a paycheck. Tell me what to do, when I'm doing it, where I'm doing it, how I'm doing it. That's it. I decided to be a teacher. So now I'm in a profession that has a lot of opinions. And I don't just mean people in education. I mean everybody. People that pay property taxes, parents, just community members. Everybody cares right now. Should kids be in the classroom? Is it safe? What's the proper protocol? What should the guidelines be? So the answer right now in California is, no, not yet, not not yet, not yet. Let's reevaluate September 8th. Don't you love the arbitrary dates? And then after that, uh, October 3rd, 13th, 30th, uh, I don't fucking know. I, I, I would love it if our governor was just like, yeah, and then we'll reevaluate on uh, November. I don't fucking know. Like, okay, we're writing this down. Thank you, governor. Any politician who's trying to Give us a timeline. I love it. We all want a timeline. This virus doesn't have a timeline. I'm Googling vaccines every day. I find so many articles. There's nothing concrete to tell me a vaccine is coming anytime soon. I love the articles. Operation Warp Speed. Billion dollar investments into private companies. Trials. Focus groups. Immunity. Treatments. Testing. I read it all and then I take a step back and go, no one's really telling me when. When we get to return to... A semblance of normal. Just a little bit of normal. Just a little bit. Just let me hang out with friends without being worried that their laugh is going to have a spit particle go into the air and land right on my nose. But yes, this is temporary. This is temporary. 
I think I'm in the midst of my meltdown right now. I think so. Daycare. Send the kid back. And I had the morbid thought, okay, kid goes back to daycare, catches COVID, even if she's asymptomatic, passes it along to my mom, 71-year-old grandma, and I get my mom sick, put her in the hospital, and that's all on me. Avoidable? Sure. I know it's morbid. I know the stats say kids are not real transmitters. It's not a major risk, but come on. You could find the story you're looking for. You could Google daycare dangers, or you could Google daycare so safe. Google what you want. Find the answer you need. I've been emailing Kaiser doctors and they all say, look, you know, we can't give you the final call on what to do. You know that, Josh. You email us and you think we're really going to reply. Yes. Send your daughter to daycare or no. Avoid. It's like you got to do what you got to do. And speaking of you got to do what you got to do. There are so many families right now that have had to actually face the choice of, well, we could truly shelter in place, although I have a job where you can't. I'm a landscaper. I'm a housekeeper. I'm a gardener. I'm a cook. Any job that you can't do from home. So I have to go. Have to go. Essential. Exposing myself? Absolutely. So it's no question. It's no question that some people just have to expose themselves. And these are the people I feel so bad for. Because they come home and they feel probably awful that they're putting their families in jeopardy. But it's just the life you have to live. You need a paycheck right now. You don't have the luxury of saying, you know something, I'm not going to go in. I say it's a choice, but is it a choice? I mean, is it really a choice? Like if they say, go back to the classroom, go teach, go teach about 25 kids face to face. You know, damn well, they won't be socially distanced, but go teach. Go ahead. And I go, okay, I do need that paycheck. I do need food in my fridge and lights on. I do need to put gasoline in my car. How do you do all of those things? Well, it's with the money that they pay me to do all the things at the school. And then I realized, oh, but yeah, I'm exposing myself to a greater population and maybes and probablys, and it's not going to be good. You probably shouldn't see your mom anymore. Don't, nah, don't really expose other people to an increased risk, but you got to go to work. We got to go to work. And we also have to not be around anybody. There it is. There's the predicament. Everybody, you got to go to work. You got to keep working. If you have a job where you have to go to that job, you got to go there. But also don't be around humans. And then we have politicians in fancy suits telling us, well, here's when we're going to reevaluate on September 57th. Uh, Sir, that's not a real date. Okay, I'm just spitballing here. I don't have a goddamn clue. Anything that's stressing you out right now on a very micro level, picture all the families that are having that exact same stress pods do parents put their kids into pods and what does that even mean i stand around with a lot of strangers in somebody's backyard so they can socialize i mean it sounds fine sounds healthy we all have to agree we're sheltering in place hey you're clean i'm clean you're healthy i'm healthy you haven't coughed in three weeks i haven't coughed in three weeks i haven't even opened my mouth you're only going to see my eyes i'm masked up at all times and we're just a bunch of strangers getting together in somebody's backyard and this is called schoolyard simulation okay i'm in i'm in i start to feel bad for high school football players who can't play high school football Then I start to feel bad for seniors who just graduated in a very weird way of graduating. And then instead of going to college, which is kind of the greatest time of life for many people, leaving home for the first time, discovering a new world, a new town, a new group of friends, new professors. Think about going to college for the first time. I mean, are you kidding? 
how great that first month is, they're not getting that. These colleges aren't really opening the doors yet, so these kids are still at their parents' house. I even had one of my former students tell me, I don't even think I'm going to do it yet. Got into a very good school in Southern California. And he told me, I don't think I'm going to start college this way. I'm going to wait a year. Why am I paying money to this university to just sit at my parents' house in front of a computer and say, I'm in my freshman year of college? Zero partying, zero dorm action, zero interaction with humans. But yeah, my freshman year of college? No, it's not. What are you paying for? How many colleges are going to have kids like that who go, yeah, I'm good. I'll, I'll come back next year. Or when this all passes, if you're a freshman in college, I know you're trying to accelerate your life. Like I got to get through college. I got to get through all four years. But if this is how it's starting and you're paying for that, you're not really getting the experience. I know that's obvious, but really you work your ass off in high school. Let's say you get into Cal Poly, UCLA, UC Davis, any school. And instead of going to the dorm to meet your new roommate, getting after it at a party that night, being dragged home taking that shuttle down to Tijuana. Nope, just us at San Diego State. How many times did we take that shuttle? What was it called? Bertha's shuttle? Down to Tijuana, they just drop us there. Get back into your dorm bed, your little twin bed at 3 a.m., and boom, the alarm clock goes off, and it's time to enter the classroom. Hey, what happened last night? I remember, yeah, okay, I remember that. I remember the whistle. I remember the donkey. I remember the federales, and then it gets a little fuzzy. Could you imagine being a parent sending your kid to San Diego State knowing that there's a shuttle to bring them to Tijuana every hour on the hour? I'm not making this up, folks. That's what happens. Keep your kids away, San Diego State. Do not let your kids grow up to be Aztecs. Do not do it. It's just tomfoolery, folks. It's debauchery. Do not let them go to that university. Protect them. Protect them. But what are we going to do? Are we going to stay home? Am I going to meet a bunch of these new students on Zoom and say, hey, we'll all get through this. I'm going to teach you through the screen, but don't worry, we'll reevaluate in September. And then don't worry in October and November. And isn't it going to become December and then we'll be on winter break going, I hope we get back on campus soon and I hope we have a basketball season and I hope we have a baseball season. Am I being cynical or realistic right now? I mean, honestly, when do we get the green light? Hey, scientists, I'm talking to you. Not smooth politicians. Nah, nah, I'm not talking to you. Scientists, I'm talking to you. When do we realistically get back into that classroom for rallies and proms and games and revelry and laughter and real tests where they can't cheat or really shouldn't cheat? Did the Washington Redskins really? I I have to ask this. Did I dream this or did the Washington Redskins really just drop their name and change the team name to Washington football team and then told everybody, yeah, it's an interim name. We're just going to go by that for about a year. And then we'll get a another name and logo. You didn't have to reveal anything. Why was that breaking news on ESPN? The Washington Redskins have decided to go by Washington football team. What the fuck, Daniel Snyder? What a piece of shit. Do you remember when Daniel Snyder said, we'll never change the name Redskins. We'll never change the name Redskins. Just happily offending so many people who have told him it's derogatory. Native Americans who have said, it hurts our feelings that your professional football team is called the Redskins. That's a slur. And he proudly goes, put that in all capital letters. He actually said that in the newspaper. Put it in all capital letters. We'll never change the name. And now, well now, during this pandemic, we've had so many movements for racial equality. We've had some movements for justice. 
we've had some uprisings going on. All right, we're not just talking about COVID-19. There's other things in the news. So there was enough pressure on this damn owner, Daniel Snyder, to change the name. And what a baby. To just say, we'll just be the Washington football team. How about that? Oh, that's so I'm taking the ball and going home and no one's playing. I don't even think he has a marketing team who's working on anything. Just call us Washington football team, okay? I, I don't want to talk about it. And now it's a polarizing hot debate where some people go, Redskins is not derogatory. There are many Native Americans who are fine with the name, including the son of the guy that actually created the logo. I read that. So the logo for the team used to just be the letter R, and then it became that Native American graphic. And that was drawn. Actually, I should Google this. All right, so the logo was created in 1971, designed by Native American Walter Blackie Wetzel to depict a member of the Blackfeet tribe. Now, Wetzel, who grew up on the Blackfeet Reservation in Montana, was elected president of the National Congress of American Indians in Washington, D.C. And his son said, quote, his son, this is like pretty current news, everybody was upset with the name change. Everyone understood the name change Yet once they were not going to use the logo, it was hard. It takes away from the Native Americans. When I see that logo, I take pride in it. You look at the depiction of the Redskins logo, and it's of a true Native American. I always felt it was representing my people. That's not gone. And there have been some studies that a lot of Native Americans on reservations actually wear the gear and cheer for the team. And then, of course, there's plenty others. And like I said, it's a hot, contentious debate. But clearly my take is if it's offending people, then there's plenty of other names. Just get rid of it. Not to say I'm a total pushover and I just acquiesce to any pressure, but really there's some obvious ones out there. Redskins. That was always obvious. And some people said, no, it's just the paint, the war paint that they would put on their bodies before going to battle. It wasn't all about the pigment of these Native Americans, a slur, but it was deemed a slur. And there were thousands of Native Americans who just said, get rid of the name. We're totally offended. But of course, a lot of news outlets like to balance it and say, well, there are some former players who are upset. Yada, yada, yada. It's not that big of a topic to harp on. I thought it was simple, but now it's July 2020. And finally, the simple decision, in my opinion, was made. They got rid of it. They're now Washington football team. So dumb. It's like Aunt Jemima. Aunt Jemima. A lot of people were upset, said it's a racial stereotype. Get rid of the logo. Get rid of the idea. Aunt Jemima. Anything that depicts slavery or oppression, get rid of it. No need for these logos and graphics. Uncle Ben, let's stop that too. I get it. It actually brings up the heavier topic of how so many people want statues to come down if it represents an uglier time in history. There are plenty of people who want such a politically correct world that they want to erase a lot of things that represented an uglier time. Monuments that were enacted for a racist cause, for a racist person. Yet there were statues, and it tells a story. Nowadays, you know, it could be a form of education. Yet a lot of people say, no, just take down the statues, take down the monuments. Let's not honor anything that offends people. Let's not honor anything that offends people. It's like in Germany, they went through a denazification phase. In Russia, they went through a de-Stalinization phase. You know, they don't want to be connected to their ugly history. And I get that because you don't want to hurt feelings. You don't want to go to Germany and see a bunch of Hitler statues and go, look at these people still honoring that ugly history. Yet 
we still have to tell the stories. And maybe you don't tell it with statues because statues tend to honor the good people, but you're seeing it every single day. People doing their research and seeing these monuments to people and they go, well, that person was racist. We did enough research and we realized they were slave owners or we realized that they mistreated people and we don't want that to be part of society. We don't want that to be that school name anymore because we found out that that person was racist living in this time where it probably wasn't condemned. Actually, of course it wasn't condemned when these people were alive and they were being honored as heroes for whatever they were, explorers, generals, lieutenants, Whatever they were, now the modern day researchers and historians could tell you, hey, you probably shouldn't name a school that. And you see it every single day. And I'm usually on board with, yeah, let's not offend people. You know, if, if that many people say we don't want that name, if the majority out there says we don't want our school to be named that and we don't want our mascots to look that way or be named that, then I go, fine, that's fine. Yet, we got to be very careful about not erasing the stories that are being told the history, the ugly history still has to be told. And there are some people, some non-racists who say, well, let's pump the brakes on that. Let's slow, let's slow down for a moment before we just erase all the names of all racists and anything derogatory. Because if we just remove it all and try to move forward into a brave new world as if, yeah, nothing happened, then the risk of repeating it becomes the issue. Like Drake high school, Sir Francis Drake, the explorer, Right here in Marin County. Now there's a movement. Get rid of that name. He was a slave owner. And get rid of that street name, Drake. We've done enough research. But there's a contingency of people on the other side. And it doesn't make them like awful people who say, what are we just going to do that with every single person in history? For the time they were living in, stop teaching about them? Erase everything? So I guess you just don't want to mislead people. Because then what? You replace it with a name to honor somebody else. And then in 50 years, you find out, oh, what? They were a domestic abuser? Oh, what? They were a drug runner? We're looking for perfect people to honor. It's tough. But then again, I just go back and say, all right, you know what? If more and more people rise up and say, we don't want to honor these shitty names in history. I say, okay, but still teach them. I guess that's all. All right, let me flip it to this. There's three personality types in the world of Buddhism. So follow me closely right now. Three personality types. These are Buddhist personality types. And the idea is that this might be you on the inside. Yet, you could transform yourself. And then through transformation, the unhealthy patterns of your dominant personality type, whatever the core is that I describe right now, listen for this. Then we can express our healthy, natural temperament. It's just a philosophy that everybody has something on the inside that could blossom into something really positive, but it's polluted by these Buddhist personality types. And you have to adopt a transformation. You have to actually commit to the transformation to see the results. So number one is called the greed or grasping temperament based on desire. Is this you? I'll ask that three times. These are three personality types. Is this you? And then you'll hear about the transformation, what you could become. That's all of us. It's a journey. None of us are just going to transform overnight, but a lot of us know we need to transform a little bit. All right. So if you're number one, the greed or the grasping temperament based on desire, these individuals are oriented in the world to want more and more and seek comfort and pleasure. This can lead to self-centeredness, vanity, pride, jealousy, willfulness. Now, once transformed, the greed grasping temperament can evolve into a spirit of generosity 
and abundance. So these are the people that could turn their hearts around and become very generous. Is that you? All right. Second type, the aversive or angry temperament based on judgment and rejection. So this temperament finds fault in people, frequently identifies problems. These individuals are critical, quarrelsome, easily displeased. This can lead to vindictiveness, anger, hatred, aggression, and the need to control. Once transformed, the aversive temperament gives rise to wisdom and non-contentiousness and unites opposites. All right. So if that was you, aversive or angry, you could transform and be one to gain a lot of wisdom, become non-contentious peacemaker and unite opposites. We need more of those. And then number three, the deluded or confused temperament. Is this you? It's based on uncertainty, confusion. Individuals with this temperament do not relate easily to the world and often have a sense of not knowing what to do. This often leads to worry, doubt, anxiety, negligence. But once transformed, the deluded temperament gives rise to spaciousness and understanding. You could be a very understanding person. The Buddhist personality types, always trying to whittle it down to a few categories. People like that. Where do I fit? What type of personality am I? What am I naturally? And then what do I have to work on? And if I really work on that, then what can I become? Like think about some of the shittiest people you know. You could easily pinpoint the areas they need to improve. And then if they did, if they actually addressed those areas, it's kind of interesting to say, all right, and then they do have some strengths. And if they focused on that, then I guess they could blossom and transform. A lot of our worst qualities, if molded properly, could easily become strengths. Superpowers almost. We know that. We know that about ourselves. So you might fit into one of those. Why do I bring that up? No clue. But I just felt it was a decent way to transition from all this COVID uproar, racist uproar that is inundating our lives on the daily. And after the break, a comment on hope. And we're clear. <sighs> okay. How am I doing, guys? Oh, okay. Not good. Okay. Well, fill me up. Terrific. And we're back in three, two, one. Earlier tonight, I was talking about a comment of hope. I was sitting in a truck with my friend Judson Richards, who is a former minor league baseball player and now a radio host down at Extra Sports 1360 in San Diego, California. Judson, good guy. And Judson and I would hang out and go to movies. And we would sometimes have a Bud Light Lime at P.F. Chang's in their bar area. How weird is that? Very. But we were going to see a Steve Carell movie. I forget which one, but I know it was terrible. And we were sitting in his truck. We had a moment to kill. And I think I was complaining that I was single. Like, you know something? I kind of want to get married. I want to have a kid. I want to meet a woman. I want to meet a woman. And he said, instead of listening to me complain, he said, how great is it that you still have that to look forward to? Just kind of summed it up beautifully. I was like, wow, I've never thought about it that way. The things we don't have, can we shift it just a little bit, just a little bit and say, how great is it that we haven't experienced the moment of attaining it? Because it's coming, just viewing those things as inevitable. You want to make more money one day? How great is it that you don't make that money yet, but you still have that moment to look forward to? And he was right. Happened to him too. He found a wonderful woman, married her, and now they have a little kid. And he was right. It was a great moment when I finally found my wife. And it evolved into a family and all this that I guess I was desiring and complaining about that night at the Fashion Valley Mall movie theater in his truck. But sometimes it's just like a simple little 
comment. You won't forget and it stays with you. So a bunch of the shit I've been whining about, even lately, not out loud, but just in my head, you know, those conversations in our head where we're just like, oh, I want this and I want that and I want this. I have to shift it. Just like Judson said, how great is it that that's all going to still happen? Like I could whine about, man, we have no vaccine right now. How great is it though, that one day I'll wake up and that will be the headline vaccine being distributed around the world. That is a great feeling. That's a great feeling right there. Or if you're in the midst of something just horrifically awful right now, how great that it'll dissipate and subside. Now, look, I'm not talking about things that are morbidly terrible, like a terminal illness. If that's happening right now, this pep talk is going to fall flat. And who even needs a pep talk? You could just stop the podcast right now if it sounds way too much like a motivational speech. But here's my point. If you have a setback and you're consumed with that terrible feeling, I know that feeling. I know that feeling so well. How great is it? That you could look back in the catalog of setbacks in your life and go, yeah, I did kind of bounce back. It took a week, took a month, but we have that to refer to. These reference points of the low moments. We go, yeah, that one took about three weeks and then I felt good again. So if you're in the eye of the storm, how great. You now know that you come out of that. You don't stay down. You don't stay down. This is like the perfect time to end it. But for some reason, I feel the need to just rip Will Ferrell apart. Stop. And I love Will. Probably one of the top five Saturday Night Live cast members of all time. Maybe in the top four. Maybe on the Mount Rushmore. And his first few, are you kidding me? Anchorman? It's legendary. I almost feel like we don't have great comedies anymore. We just have a lot of B minus C plus comedies being made. Right now, there's not a good comedy movie out. But Will Ferrell, you remember that phase? What was it like 2002 to 2006, probably? A Will Ferrell comedy comes out and you're like, oh, oh shit, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> you just laugh as the opening credits are going. You're like, this, this is going to be something special. And now it's 2020. And now Will is 53 years old. And Will is a superstar. It's kind of a legend of comedy. And now on Netflix, there's a movie called Eurovision Song Contest, the story of Fire Saga. And this movie is such a hot pile of dog shit that I wonder how Will could look at the script, eventually watch his performance, and even think it's okay to do this to people. It's that bad. And I don't want to go over the top, because like I said, I love Will. But why not retire? Or why not try some dramatic roles? Or why not do some more theater? But to do this to us, Eurovision Song Contest, and it's over two hours. I've watched it in nine sittings. And every time I look at how much is left, how much is left, there's always too much left. There's not one laugh. And if there is, you feel embarrassed that you're even laughing at this. You're like, come on. You want to boo your TV. Boo, Will. Come on, Will. Will knows. Will knows. He knows. He's going to write a tell-all book in 10 years and apologize to all of us and say, I don't know what I was thinking. Every great comedic actor does a few of these where you just go, come on, you took the payday. You ruined our night. You gave us nothing. I hope he realizes that. There's actual humans who are watching this. Actually, the cinematography of Iceland is exquisite, so I recommend that. But I heard Jim Carrey interviewed on Mark Maron, and Jim Carrey looks back at the struggles of his career. Most of us would look at Jim Carrey and say, it went well. Hey, Jim, it went pretty well. 
But he looks back and he sees the duds and the roles he should not have taken. And it haunts him. It haunts him. What an ugly feeling. The troubled artist. I take it back. I take everything I just said back about Will. I feel like I went too far. Sorry, Will. Will's one of the top listeners to the Here We Go podcast. And that is episode 101. I woke up today and said, I don't have it. I ain't got it, coach. Don't put me in. I don't have anything to say. I have no thoughts, but I guess there were enough. Ultimately, I hope there were enough. If there weren't, come back for episode 102. Or I give you permission to stop. You may stop. If you made it through 100 and you're like, all right, that's the finish line. Thanks, Josh. Appreciate you, but I'm going in a new direction. That's fine. We're going to part ways mutually. But just know, I'm probably going to keep going. I think so. At least I got to end this podcast because that's the way to hear the Micah Julius song. And that's something I need. I need the extended version of that. Because when the horns come in and the glockenspiel starts to ding, 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 that puts me in a good mood. All right. So let's shake it off. Let's shake off all the meltdowns where you reach your boiling point. Let's shake it off. And let's all get into one of those good moods. Can we do it? Let's take a breath. I hope some of you actually took a breath right there. And now you feel a little better. Isn't that weird? Okay. Episode 101. It's in the books. I'll talk to you soon. (laughs) 